This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back. It is a Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. That means it's Ian Metis, Julian McKenzie with you. Uh, for the next hour, we're going to hit on a wild weekend uh, in Vancouver for the Canucks. Uh, our own Harmon Dial is going to join us uh, a little bit later. Harmon will, will hit on uh, Rick Tockett's first uh, practice with the Canucks. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the handling of Bruce Boudreaux, all of that. Uh, just some some nutty stuff, but I'll tell you, Julian, you and I, uh, usually we record the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We try and get this done before 12 noon Eastern time. Sometimes we even do it Sunday night, but you and I are in the center of some, you know, obviously Harmon and Thomas Drance in Vancouver, they've got a, a, a major story um, brewing over there, but you and I were pretty busy ourselves on Monday. I found out, I roll into the rink, I found out Josh Norris is out for the season for Ottawa, and you're in Calgary for the return of Johnny Hockey, which I can only imagine is one of the games that everybody had circled on the calendar, right? Gotta say, uh, they had the Flames had practice on Sunday, and we already saw in the hallway leading to the locker room uh nhl on espn like they had their little like banners for interviews or whatever like they were already set up there like and and then for the press conferences we were in for on monday you're seeing like john butchergrass and, and ray ferraro and leah hextall and the columbus traveling media there like it was it was pretty pretty packed and then johnny gaudreau steps out for practice his teammates boo him and jeer him in anticipation for what he's probably going to get later on this evening from fans, it's a genuine debate topic from from people, and it's been a debate topic for months. Like even when like people were asking about Matthew Kachuk and what reception he was going to get, like the very next question you're thinking of is, well, what is Johnny Gaudreau going to get when he returns? And I think this is just how I just in terms of talking to different people about it, it seems as if Matthew Kachuk leaving the way that he did was a little bit more palatable because. He let the Flames know, and they traded, and they got pieces back in return, as opposed to Johnny Gaudreau, who some people feel kind of left the Flames high and dry, literally waiting until like the final hours until free agency before making his decision, and they get nothing for him. So people have made that debate that because uh, his decision went the way that it did, his reception might be worse than what Matthew Kachuk got, which was he got some boos, he got an ovation, and then got immediately booed after. But I also thought there were some instances where he has the puck and then people just kind of like kind of spaced out for a second. And then they're like, oh, yeah, right. We have to boo him. I feel I mean, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how fans react to it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you're right. I think there's a difference. I think I, I think what the fans did for Matthew Kachuk was awesome. Like it's it's very it, that to me showed a really savvy and smart hockey fan uh, base and market where they're like, okay, man, we're going to, we're going to give you your flowers before the game because you know, you, Matthew Kachuk played his heart out for the Calgary flames. Like nobody at the end of the Matthew Kachuk era was like, man, I feel like that guy, that guy didn't give it his all. He did. He was a, he was a premier power forward, uh, played the game in a certain way, was very productive, but wanted to leave. So the minute that game started, Hey, it's, it's, it's boot time. You don't play for us, but you're right on Johnny Goudreau. There is something about, you know, maybe his style was a little bit different. I'll tell you what. You know, the one thing I always think of with Johnny Gaudreau and Daryl Sutter. 
Okay. So yeah. if you remember when Johnny Gaudreau was set to play his five, and, and fans will remember this because I, I feel like this was in the pandemic, uh, that pandemic shortened season or whatever it was. But, you know, Johnny Gaudreau's getting set to play his 500th game, which I think we can all agree is a pretty significant milestone for a young player in the NHL. Hey, you're getting to 500 games, you're halfway to 1,000. That's a, it's a big milestone. And Daryl Sutter just completely extinguishes any excitement or uh, enthusiasm around the milestone. And remember his quote, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have it in front of me, but his, his quote was basically, uh, you know, hey, Daryl, what do you think about Johnny Goudreau playing his 500th game? And his answer is, well, I hope he play, he brings more enthusiasm than he did in game 499. And it's like, yeah. wow, you just went right at your guy. So that's, to me, it's an interesting angle to all of this is the coach that had him is still there in Calgary. Right, and that's that's part of it all. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting uh, scene, I think, in uh, in uh, at the Saddle Dome on Monday. Night. I'm glad you mentioned the coach. I'm glad you mentioned the coach because that same coach, uh, when we asked him about Johnny Goudreau today, uh, I only have part of the quote that sticks out in my head because he did explain a little bit more. He straight up said he was disappointed to lose Johnny Goudreau, and he only had him for a short amount of time. I get it. But he acknowledged the fact that, you know, he was as productive as he was throughout his career. But, like, it just it's just a, a an example. The quote you brought up and how he feels about him after the fact. It's just this example of Daryl Sutter and the way that he seems to talk about players publicly just being very weird and very, I don't want to say mind games, but, like, it's just... It can be a little off-putting to some people. Like it's it's kind of funny that we bring this up because we're a couple days out from how Daryl Sutter reacted to uh, Jacques Peltier making his NHL debut, which I wrote about for the Athletic. And I mean, I kind of focused on the family angle and and how uh, their trek from coming from Quebec City to see him play. But all anyone really wanted to talk about out of that game was how uh, Daryl Sutter spoke about uh, Jacob after that game in which he was asked a question uh, by good friend Solomon Valjia at TSN. And he's all like, who is that? What's his number? And then he just reads out his stat line. And so many people kind of took that as as disrespect. Like, I don't think anyone was expecting him to throw any roses at, at, at a player like that. I mean, he only played like a little over six minutes. But I think for, for Daryl Sutter, at least openly, to just be like, yeah, whatever. Like, he's just – he has a long way to go and just read off the stat line – I think it left a lot of a lot of, a lot of bad taste in a lot of people's mouths uh, with how that was perceived and how that was taken how that was taken. And I know Jacob has since apparently gone to uh, he he spoke to uh, Journal de Quebec uh, and said that Daryl told him that he played a good game and then also acknowledged the fact that you know he didn't get to play all that much because of how the game went. But we don't know everything that's being said behind closed doors. And if you're gonna go out there and you're gonna say that about a player. Like, yeah, people, I think, have every right to kind of take that the way that they're going to take it. So when you think about that, and look, Jacob's not the first player to get stuff like that. And I'm sure veterans have different moments like that where, like, Daryl speaks about them that way. And maybe it's a bit of a weird theory, or not theory, but it's a way to think. But, like, in my brain, I just think, like, I wonder how much more Johnny Gaudreau would have been enticed to stay in Calgary if the head coach that was there in place, I don't know, maybe didn't have that tough love style. Maybe Johnny Gaudreau would have wanted to play in the States. Like, Michael Backlund even acknowledged as much, like, yo, like, he 
at some point wanted to play in the States in his career. But if like if Johnny Gaudreau was so indecisive about leaving Calgary to the point he wanted to go to the States, and I'm sure there were family decisions. I mean, obviously there were family implications in all of that. He mentioned his he wanted to be close to his father, and I'm sure uh with with whatever his wife might be doing in terms of work, that could also play into it too. But if he was as indecisive about this as he says he was, like down to like the final hours, how much would coaching have mattered in all of that? Like how much how much does that matter for 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 Flames players? Because now like we're at a point where like people are wondering like yeah. oh well what's that what what like the, the environment that's there now like what does that do for young players who could get brought up in that system? And if we're gonna think about young players, then we're obviously gonna think about you know older players too. And and look, I think Daryl Sutter, I think there are a lot of guys who will can comment on his on how he is with players and 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 I think you'll probably get some people who will speak positively of him. Tyler Toffoli's done that at different points, uh, considering he's won a Stanley Cup with him. But I think it is fair to debate and open the door and ask if Daryl Sutter didn't at least publicly speak about some of his players the way that he does, whether it's for the purpose of you know, not hyping them up and, and just an old school way or not, I think it's worth asking if if that style was a bit different, how would that affect players and their futures in this city? I think it's worth having that debate. Yeah. Hey, listen, Julian, I, I think it's a good point, but I, I wonder if Daryl Sutter is not unlike, you know, to some extent, John Tortorella, or if you go to another uh, sport, uh, you know, think of Bill Belichick in the NFL. Like the way you are with the media, yes, you're a curmudgeon and yes, you know, you're abrasive and short with the media. But behind closed doors, uh, you know, you're very protective of your players. And I, I, rem- I think Daryl Sutter in particular, I think guys love him. Like I think he cares about the players as human beings. And, and I think you, you go back and I, some of the, the players in the league, Toffoli would be a great example. Anybody that. Remember that 70s line? It was, it was what was it? Toffoli and Jeff Carter and uh, was it Tanner Pearson or whatever? Like all of, some of the some of these guys had the best years of their lives with Daryl Sutter as their coach. And I think at the end of it, there'll be a lot of guys that'll go back. I bet you at the end of their career, they'd go back. And, and I bet you Johnny Gaudreau will be one of them. Matthew Kachuk, they go back at the end, when maybe 10 or 15 years from they go back and they say, you know what, Daryl? I didn't like it at the time. And I appreciate it now. You made me a better player, but but I but I think Daryl's a little bit different. I think it's more of an act. Yeah, I think it's I more of an act I agree. for the media. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a really funny guy. I just think he doesn't have time for the media. I don't think he just I think he yeah. just doesn't like doing the media. Yeah. My thing with Daryl Sutter, like I mean, I don't know him personally like that. I've only had a few interactions with him. Um, the interactions I've had with him, I think, have been good. Um, I, I I don't have any really is- big issue to say anything about Daryl Sutter, to be clear, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely in terms of him dealing with media, I don't think he likes dealing with media all that much because I, I guess probably from his perspective, he'll say something and we're going to twist it the way that we're going to want to twist it. Maybe he could argue that if he were to somehow listen to this discussion, he might feel that we're doing that right now. But like, yeah, I can understand he might not necessarily like us, but also at the same time, I sometimes feel that he might make it a little bit more tense than it needs to be. I don't know. And to your point about with the media too, like 
going back to that Peltier thing with the way that he answered that, like, he was all like, yeah, like, what, what number does he wear or whatever? Like, as he's saying that, he's already, like, reaching for his glasses and, like, going to pick up the paper. Like, I, there's an element of, of theater to this, too. I don't think it's just somebody who is yeah. like, you know what, I don't like dealing with the media. I think this is somebody who also realizes the platform that he's on and the people who watch him do what he's doing. And he's like, okay, well, you know, I don't like you guys that much. So here's how I'm going to, you know, maybe not show you up, but like it's calculated. Like I think, I think definitely that particular, that particular thing you do with Peltier, I don't want to say it was a bit, but like, I, I think he, he thought about that a little bit and, and the way he, he might've spoken about Johnny Gaudreau about that one time, like, yeah, that's stuff that you'll you'll think about. Like it's, I think there's an element, there's a theatrical element to that too. That's that's my feel. You know, my my only interaction with with Daryl Sutter outside of a press conference or a formal setting. So LA's in Ottawa years ago. I don't know what year this would have been. 2015, if I'm ballparking it, 2016. And I'm standing in the hallway of Canadian Tire Center, and Daryl comes out to do his media availability in Ottawa. And he says to me, so the night before I had, uh, I, I had been moonlighting. I did a little bit of anchoring work uh, with the, the local CTV uh, station in Ottawa for years. So I would go on the, the local news. I would do sports. Who haven't you, you know, worked for whatever. in this business? I, I know. Jeez. Um, anyway. So That's Daryl a compliment, Sutter's by the about, way, not a shot. It, it, no, it's your way of saying I'm old. I get it. You're like, who oh haven't my you worked God, for? No. Anyway, whatever. Go off. Anyway. So Sutter says... To me, just before, he's like, hey, he's like, good job on the news last night. Thought, oh, oh, thank you very much. So anyway, uh, I'm kind of thrown off by this a little bit. I'm like, what? Like, that's odd. So the scrum ends, and I say, like, what do you, you watch the local news? And he says, and I don't know, you know, maybe this is a feature story you can do. And maybe he doesn't do it anymore, <laughs> or maybe he was pulling my leg. I have another Daryl story after this. He too, says, but. he says to me, I make it a habit of watching the local news in every city I'm in. What? So I know what's going on. Yes. I didn't now, know that. Now, I don't know if that was just him pulling my leg and he just watched it that night or he legit goes into every city and he's like, okay, six o'clock, I'm going to watch the local news. Buddy, that's what he said to me. Oh it was my very God. odd. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of funny. Like, Daryl Sutter... It, it like that's that's what makes this that's what makes him so fascinating as a character because in front of everybody with the lights on with the cameras on like he'll he'll act the way he does with media some days it's more pleasant than others and and you'll have like a like a Jacob Peltier esque incident like what we saw over the weekend but then like if you're like talking to him like one on one it could be like a little bit like jarring because you don't see it coming like on 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 Sunday. So, like, the day after all that Peltier stuff happens, like, you know, we're, we're all minding our own business in the locker room or whatever. I'm just kind of hanging around the room. And, like, Daryl Sutter, like, is walking through the locker room. That doesn't always happen. And at one point, like, I'm just standing in the middle of the room, and Daryl's, like, walking out. And, like, our eyes kind of, like, sort of meet. And, like, if I see that's happening, like, I'll just, I'll just give you the nod respectfully, you know, just to, you know, do whatever. And, like, Daryl, like, sort of does the nod, but then he kind of stops in his tracks, and he's, like, looking at me. And, like, I kind of take that as if, like, oh, like, I don't know if, I like, he wanted me to say something or or whatever. So I was just saying, like, yeah, like, I was just just saying, hey. And then he's, like, well, I was uh, actually trying to read your hat. And I don't know if I've worn this hat on, on the show before when we <laughs> do our little, like, Zooms or whatever. But I have this, like, one hat that says, like, take care of yours. It's, like, this, like, one of my, like, favorite hats I just, like, wear. And he's, like 
trying to read my hat. And I'm like, I lower the brim and he's like trying to read it. He's like, yeah, all right. And then he just like walks off. And then like one of the reporters in the room is all like, so when's Daryl taking you to dinner? Like, it's one of those like weird interactions that, like you don't expect to happen. That's like, like me in the, uh, okay. in the news. Yeah, yes. I'm just like, it's, you it's, just don't expect that coming. Like, it's like one day he might rip you for asking some question some way and not, you know, paying attention. I have not. I mean, let me knock on wood now because I'm pretty sure in about a month and a half or maybe even sooner, I'll probably ask some dumb question and be ridiculed on the Internet for it because it seems like a rite of passage for everybody in this market. But like you might go through that and then like he'll ask you like what your how was your vacation was like. It's so weird. Dealing with Daryl Sutter, and I know I'm coming from the perspective of someone who has only been in here for four months, but like, I it's so weird. It's so God, weird. Man, I it's wish you were wearing a more. I wish you were wearing a more embarrassing hat. <laughs> you rolled in yeah. with like one of the. What, what would be an embarrassing hat that like Daryl Sutter is trying to? He's like, what is that? Does that hat say who farted? What or like. Baby fat or some, some ridiculous brand or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly. I don't know. And he's all like, he has no clue about what the hell this is or whatever. Like, that I would, would have been wear, more like, funny. But, like, take care of yours is like a nice slogan. Yes. Oh, man. I wish you had an embarrassing hat. Like a novelty hat. I don't know if I have any. I have a lot of hats, but I don't know if I have any embarrassing hats. So I'll, I'll let yeah. you know. All right, man, Julian, we're talking about uh, embarrassing things. That's the old natural segue into uh, what unfolded in Vancouver uh, on the weekend. And look, I, I think it's been probably beaten to death uh, on, on on our other shows, on the Athletic Hockey Show, uh, Columns, et cetera, the way Bruce Boudreaux was, was treated. So we don't necessarily have to dive into that again. But, I mean, look, there's a, a brand new uh, head coach in town in Rick Tockett. There's a new, uh, you know, probably direction here. Uh, Harmon Dale uh, does a great job along with Thomas Drantz of covering the Vancouver Canucks for us uh, out on the West Coast. So Harmon is with us. If I'm not mistaken, from the are, are we getting you from the arena fresh off of Rick Tockett's first practice? Yeah. Yep. Look at this. Fresh and ready to go. So if you were to describe to us the biggest difference in a Rick Tockett versus Bruce Boudreaux practice? What's your answer going to be to that? It's a really good question. I think right off the bat, you're seeing that the practices are longer, definitely more intense, uh, which when you look back to Bruce Boudreaux's time leading a lot, of, a lot of practices, it was very brief. It was actually pretty jarring. It's like if you ended up 10 to 15 minutes late for uh, to, to practice as a media member, it's like they might already be off, uh, off the ice um, or, or they're just working on, on skills work after. So I think um, he's going to work them really hard in that sense. And there were a lot of battle-related drills where it was, okay, guys going at it going at it in the corner. And I think that's the mentality that talk wants to bring in. And I think from management's perspective, that's where they felt that with this club's um, habits and the intensity with which they trained with, it wasn't high enough. And we saw even in one of the drills, uh, um, I think Quinn Hughes at the puck and he was you know, out of the corner battle drill whipping into the slot and Elias Pedersen laid him out um, to the whoops and, and haulers of, uh, of his teammates. So um, I think there was definitely a, a big uh, notable difference in that area. And from, from this point on, when they actually start the games, how much of a difference there is in the philosophy of how they try and play. Because under Boudreaux, it was a lot of run and gun offensive style. You're open to make plays. You're open to do whatever you want. And under Talkit, I think he's definitely going to have, he's mentioned non-negotiables in terms of how you play the game, game management, 
cutting down turnovers, playing with a lot more structure. So I'm more interested, interested to see when the games actually start, how much of a difference are you going to see uh, in the tempo at which this team plays with? Because you even think back to the teams that uh, Tockett coached in Arizona, they were, they were essentially trying to be the Barry Trotz and New York Islanders, right? Where it was a lot of just shot blocking, keep teams, keep teams to the outside, very little offensive creativity. And of course, it's different here because Vancouver has a lot more offensive talent to work with as opposed to um, Arizona, where Tockett's, I remember one year, he his highest goal score was Brad Richardson with 19, right? So it's a big difference. So might see a bit of a philosophy shift there, but um, I think we're going to, he's going to try and instill a mindset where they defend grittier, they um they try and manage the game a lot more and i'm more interested to see just how much of a buy-in are you going to get at a team level because to be honest guys there aren't a lot of players on this roster whether it's with the forwards or the back end that have a lot of two-way intelligence that um make good reads so i'm interested to see how successful they're going to be at implementing the stuff i'm intrigued about why rick tockett has to be the guy right now it's one thing to ask the question like why does rick talkett have to be the guy and it seems in the way that you're describing the practices so the practice so far at least with what we've seen from him off the one like he's trying to instill some better work habits and 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 the fact that uh, i've talked to other people about this too they say that he is good with relating to players but i'm intrigued about the decision to do it right now this minute considering where the vancouver canucks are in the standings right like they're 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 how many points out of a playoff spot, but and they're they're closer to uh, the bottom of the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. But if Rick Tockett, I mean, if you're in the business of the NHL, you're trying to get wins. So, like, if you're Rick Tockett and you and and you see how new coaches come in, you, teams might respond well and get this new coach bump. But in the case of the Canucks, where a generational player is potentially attainable if you put yourself in the right spot, like, is that not? a weird situation to put yourself in. So that's why I'm asking, like, why, like, if one thing, if you want Rick Tockett to be your guy, like, did the Vancouver Canucks have to make them their guy, like, right now, considering what could be at stake at the end of the year? I think they mistimed it personally. Either they should have done it early in the season when you still had an opportunity to kind of salvage the year when I think management already had it made up in their mind that Boudreaux wasn't their guy anyway. And it was more a formality of playing this out especially when you had Rutherford so publicly criticizing Goudreau's structure, their preparedness even in preseason and training camp. So it would have, it, it would have made sense either to, to do it then or the last maybe 10 to 15 games of the season. I think that that's usually more than enough to have a coach come in, familiarize himself with the players, get a chance to build relationships, help instill some of the mindsets and beliefs so that uh, the players understand what the team is looking for going into next season. Now, from the team's perspective, I think their logic was, okay, part of the, the, the next step for us as a management group is figuring out, okay, who's part of our future, who's not? And having talk it be a part of understanding, okay, like who's going to buy in, who's going to be successful under this more defensively oriented style, who's going to buy in, who's committed to actually playing this, um, to, to actually playing the way we envision a winning team in Vancouver to look like and talk it being able to then, you know, have that input. So I think that was a big part of it, especially because for as bad as the Canucks have been this season and for as much as we have been arguing that they should rebuild, I don't think that's what they're intending to do here. 
they're going to be looking to retool. And if you're looking to retool, then you're looking to hit the ground running next season. And I think in, from that perspective, you can understand why they're thinking, okay, let's leave a really long runway for Talkit to be able to, to, to get this going and, and, and have it be as seamless of a transition uh, as possible. You know, one of the things I love when it, when a coach takes over is the first thing I do is I'm like, who else, who is he already coached? And the, the obvious name that comes out to me is Oliver Ekman Larson, who has become a, um, a real lightning rod for criticism, right? In Vancouver, based on his, based on his contract and the, and the performance. I, uh, I know Drance wrote recently about, uh, kind of that, uh, that pairing getting caved in and, and relative to their, uh, ice time and salary and all that stuff. Uh, is there a feeling like, okay, Rick Tockett had Oliver Ekman Larson for four seasons in Arizona. Like, does that help or hurt, do you think, uh, Ekman Larson's chances here of of making it? Because now the coach already obviously has a good understanding. Sometimes it would be like, okay, brand new coach comes in, fresh slate, let's start from scratch. That's not the case here. Rick Tockett has a very good understanding of what Ekman Larson is as a player, right? Yeah, it's interesting because... It's long been um, long been speculated and rumored that the two of them didn't have the greatest relationship back in uh, back in Arizona. Now, Talkit and OEL both addressed it over the last couple of days and said that, and both downplayed it. Um, but you kind of expect that, obviously, in, in a Red Hot Canadian market, they're they're not going to, but just at the start of a relationship, go, yeah, we didn't get along uh, get along the be- get along the best way. And having said that, though, OEL did mention that Rick's a very honest guy and. There were moments that he didn't love uh, hearing that in Arizona. It's tough to say what it's going to mean for OEL's play because I think more than anything, I'm more interested to see can Talkit put him in a position to succeed in terms of who he plays him with. Because with OEL this season, there were moments where he got where he had a chance to play with Ethan Bear. And the biggest issue with OEL right now is that he doesn't have the agility, the speed to pivot quickly and retrieve those dump-ins and then get going the other way uh, to lead defenses on exits. And when he played with Ethan Bear, Bear's an example of a defender who he may not, he, he may have flaws in a lot of other areas of his game, but one thing he does really well is turn around, get the puck back, retrieve it quickly. And so that partnership seemed to work in terms of the underlying numbers, but Boudreau went away from it for whatever reason. And it's been a lot of OEL and uh, OEL and Myers to this point where both guys are pretty slow and it didn't seem to help OEL's game. Uh, the reason I bring that up is I'm curious to see how Talkit perceives Ethan Bear's game because Talkit strikes me as more of an old school type of uh, type of coach, really preach, really preaches big, tough, physical play, those sorts of things. And when you look at what Ethan Bear is, he skates well, he can move the puck, but he doesn't defend well in his own end. He's not big. He's not physical. And Talkit already kind of has a similar player like that in Quinn Hughes, so I'm kind of looking at Barron going, is, is Bear going to get the opportunity to play alongside OEL? And if he doesn't, then I don't know how realistic it is to expect OEL to significantly uh, turn it around, even in, uh, even in practice today. Uh, Bear was absent. He's missing. Um, he missed the last game as well for, uh, for personal reasons. Uh, and so we saw OEL and Chen play together. And Chen isn't fleet of foot, right? So I'm more curious to, rather than the relationship, which I don't think it's really going to move the needle in a significant way in, in either direction, I'm more curious to see, does Talkit have an understanding of what skill set OEL needs in terms of his partner to then get the most out of his individual play? I'm also into how fans have 
uh, kind of gracefully saluted Bruce Boudreaux on his way out of, of the Canucks job. From your perspective, what do you make of how Canucks fans have treated Bruce Boudreaux, even though he looked like a lame duck coach for the better part of the last two months? Yeah, they've given given him the class, the classy goodbye that um, you know he he didn't get from the organization itself. And I think there's obviously a lot of negativity in terms of how the organization has handled this, and I think that's had a ripple effect on players, staffers, the, the hockey world outside of Vancouver, where people are are noticing this and, and going, "Yikes, what's going on?" Right, and that's having a ne- negative impact. But having said that. Vancouver for a long time has been discussed as this toxic, negative market. And yet you have a scenario where a head coach is about to be fired and the support over the weekend was unbelievable. The signs, the chants, uh, the team was losing and and they went, Bruce, there it is for 30, 45 seconds. Like you never see that, right? And so that's going to resonate for people in the hockey world as well to where, yeah, the organization has gotten a bad rep, rightfully so not going to help them, but the fan base itself and what it means to play in this market. It's also showing you that if you connect with this market, if you perform, if you resonate, that Vancouver can be a hell of a place to play. As we we look, okay, the, the, the Boudreaux situation has now been uh, rectified and we weeks of speculation on that. And now it feels like the attention is going to slide over to Bo Horvat, the captain who's set to be unrestricted free agent. Kind of a double-barreled question for you, Harmon. Um, a, what's a realistic return like or what? What should Vancouver fans anticipate could be a return for Horvat? And and secondary, uh, what what teams do you think might legitimately be a fit? I, I always hear Carolina, Carolina. That's the one team you hear, and Pacioretty's out, and maybe that's going to help. But uh, if you were to kind of try to to look at this from you know, let's let's find a dance partner for Bo Horvat. Who's 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 coming up on your list, and what could the uh, the offer be? Yeah, right off the bat, I think. Um, I mean, it's tough to know what Canucks fans should even expect in a return because. Typically, when you have a situation where you have a UFA and you're going to sell uh, sell them off and you're a losing team, you'd expect pure futures. And yet, in the Canucks' case, they've made it very, very clear that they're, you know, obviously they'd like to add draft picks, but they'd more prefer to add young players that they feel can make an impact sooner rather than later in their NHL lineup. So from that perspective, Vancouver's ask isn't really, um, you know, at least their first preference isn't the type of Typical first round pick, um, young prospect, roster player that you might expect. Now, look, if they get to a point where the young NHL players that they want to get, um, that they want to acquire, if they aren't high end enough, look, they may have to resort to that more typical type of package. But uh, at this point, I'm kind of curious to see like, what exactly are their priorities going to be? So in that sense, I'd imagine that they'll, that they'll, you know, as the primary sort of piece they'll be looking for. A top prospect who's probably like closer to really being able to make again an NHL impact. A guy who's maybe 19, 20, 21. Um, uh, an example of that type of archetype would be you look at uh, Colorado, for example. Now, I don't know if Bo Horvat still makes sense for them given their injury situation and um, whether this is a year for them to go all in and, and whether it even makes sense for them to give up so much for a rental. But you look at a player like Alex Newhook, right? who he's young, high draft pick, but you look at him and you go, he's ready to step into a lineup right away and grow into a bigger role. Like that's a sort of archetype of a player that I expect to be um, one of the main pieces that the Canucks would sort of target, where it's like, this guy can help us right away. If he hits, he can be a core piece. Um, the trouble obviously is contenders, they may look at a guy like Alex Newhook and be like, well, we're crunched against the cap. We've got all these top players to pay, to pay. 
we sort of need these young ELC guys to help our roster right now. We'd rather give you the 18-year-old who is years away from making an impact. And that's where you may have a bit of um, distance, a bit of division in terms of what the Canucks are looking for and what contenders are looking for. And, and how is that dynamic going to play out? I'll be honest, I don't really know. Um, in terms of potential fits, um, outside of the obvious um, Carolina one you mentioned, uh, you know, one outside-of-the-box team that hasn't been discussed as much is um, is Winnipeg. And for me, I look at how wide open the, the Western Conference is where Ed, Edmonton and, and Calgary haven't uh, haven't been the, the elite cup contenders that we thought they may be so far. Um, Colorado's been hampered by injuries. Vegas has faded recently and there's you know uncertainty around Mark Stone. So it's like the West is wide open. It's not like the Eastern Conference and you look at the type of year that Winnipeg has had uh, near the top of the Western Conference. I look at Horvat and, Horvat and, I, and I go, He's the sort of piece that can help give you a significant boost this season and potentially being able to go deep into the playoffs. But it also gives you insurance for the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation where Dubois made it clear last offseason. And look, maybe maybe something's changed given the year that they've had. But uh, he made it clear that he intended to test free unrestricted free agency in 2024. And the path for him to get there is so simple. All he has to do is take his take his uh, qualifying offer or, or, or take things to arbitration this summer. So if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, um, and I'm looking at Bo Horvat. If I'm confident that Horvat was willing to extend here, that's a, a that's the sort of proposition that makes sense to me to to kick the tires on because he gives you a huge boost now, and and you can you can go for uh, go for a cup run when you have now uh, Dubois, uh, Shifley, and Horvat uh, Horvat down the middle, and then it also gives you insurance to where now you have Horvat and Shifley down the middle long term, um, even if Dubois doesn't want to be part of long term future in Winnipeg. So that's an example of one team. That hasn't really been talked about in the Horvath sweepstakes. And I'm like, you know, that could be intriguing. Um, One final one for you, Harmon. Uh, one thing I like seeing on on Friday is when you uh, retweet uh, from this account on Twitter called uh, Congrats, Sailor. You made it to Friday. It's a stupid, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's stupid Twitter. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, basically this random like Twitter account that has Mr. Krabs, the notable boss of SpongeBob <laughs> from the Krusty Krab. And there's this little like song and dance that get well a little more of song from that video game gets played. You retweet that every Friday, considering yeah. the fact that you've had a very busy year covering every fire that has been burst out of Vancouver, whether it's JT Miller, whether it's what's gone on over this past weekend with Rick Tockett and Bruce Boudreau and 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 everything else that has gone on throughout this year. How grateful is it? To be able to make it to Fridays, considering how busy you've been. Yeah, honestly, that's my highlight of every um, every Friday is being able to retweet that account. Um, <laughs> just because it's it's Friday, right? And SpongeBob yeah. was my favorite show growing up as a kid, so it um, it, it means something special. And I think I think Canucks fans appreciate it a, a lot these days. I get uh, I get messages from people. I literally I had it in the mentions. I I hadn't. It was like twelve o'clock, and I hadn't retweeted it yet. And someone mentioned me. They're like, "Where's the retweet?" <laughs> they're like we need the retweet <laughs> i'm like all right i get it so i mean kind of, look connect fans are suffering these days they don't yeah. um you know they're they're having a tough time so whatever i can do to not only give myself a laugh but uh help those fans out i'm, I'm willing to do love it love it hey listen you've you've done a great job and uh you and, and drance have done a great job in navigating what has been a tumultuous season uh, in Vancouver, uh, trying to keep the fans as informed and as level-headed as possible in, in a market that is just, it's very passionate about their team. And uh, uh, we've seen the, the, that passion put to the test at times this season. So listen, uh, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you to kind of break down Rick Tockett's uh, 
first practice with the Canucks. So listen, Harmon, thanks so much for for popping by the pod, and uh, I'm sure we'll get you again uh, down the road uh, real soon. Absolutely, thanks, guys. All right, that was a, uh, a great conversation with Harmon. Uh, terrific, uh, terrific job. Like I said, him and Drance have done a great job in in, in handling a really difficult situation. In a great, I can't say this enough. It's a great, I, and I grew up there, so I'm a little biased. Mm-hmm. It's a great hockey market. I I know that they get a lot of uh, grief uh, for for people like oh Canucks fans or this and that. It's a it's a good market. They deserve better than that. Uh, but okay, so in this show, we've talked a little bit about Bruce Boudreaux. And we've talked yes. a little bit about the local news, right? Yes. We need to marry these two things. Did you see this? Did you, or, and more, well, I guess we're doing a podcast. So for the podcast uh, audience, have you heard this? I'm going to play something for you right now, okay. Julian. And this is the Fox News, uh, local Fox News affiliate in Washington, D.C. Okay. They are uh, giving an update to their audience about the Vancouver Canucks. And the fact that the Canucks have made a coaching change. Your job as a listener, and you as well, Julian, is to count how many mispronunciations you hear in the following 22 seconds. Okay, so you're going to hear 22 seconds of audio from a Fox uh, broadcast, a local newscast. How many mispronunciations do you hear? Here we go. Okay, so I'm... Okay, Danielle's going to drop it in here for the audience. I'm going to play this for you right now over my speaker. Okay, Julian? Yes, 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 yes. I want to count them now. Here we go. Ready? Former Washington Capitals coach Bruce Boudreaux has been fired by the Vancouver Canucks. The team announced the change Sunday, less than a week after president of hockey operations Jim Rutherford said major surgery was needed to fix the Canucks. Rick Tukid was hired as Bodro's replacement. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! The canoe. I should laugh. And Bodro and Toge. What? Well, I didn't even. How, what did they say for Rick talking? It was like Rick. Rick Tukit. Tukit. Rick Tukit. Rick Tukit. Look, look. I, I, I have mispronounced names uh, on the show. I, sp- I famously, infamously, uh, mispronounced Dom's name. On this show, no, I'm not going to try his last name again. Uh, but uh, you know, I understand that it is uh, very bad uh, to mispronounce names. But damn it, there's a reason why in the prompter <laughs> you find a way to write out the pronunciations. And also, and- also, also, like they're from DC. Bruce Boudreaux coached in DC. There wasn't right. someone in that newsroom who could say like, "Yo, this is how you say his name." What? Bruce Boudreaux. Oh, come on. Boudreaux or whatever they said his name. Yeah, Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreaux, and the Canucks. Yo, I remember when I was in CTV, when I worked at CTV Montreal, and uh, our our news anchor, the legendary Mitsumi Takahashi, legend, whatever, there would be a situation where she'd have to read out some kind of sports news or whatever, and I happened to be around. I take this as a source of pride. She would ask me, you know, am I saying this person's name right? It costs you nothing as a reporter to just yeah. like, you know, go to someone in the sure. newsroom, look it up and just be like, yo, am I saying the name right? How do I say the name right? And then you write it in your script uh, how it sounds like. And then when you read it in the prompter, you could at least read it like like how it's supposed to be said, like yeah. talk it. Like you could you could easily say like talk like TikTok and then like it talk it. Like, yeah, yeah, that would have worked. 
But but whatever Toolkit is, what, Toolkit, but even, are you even su- that? There, there's no double O in the name. Where do you get Toolkit from? But but do you, are you surprised she uh, she didn't say uh, Rick Toche? That would have made Rick more to- sense. Rick yes. Toche. Yeah, not Toolkit. Because if it was like a double O name in the last uh. name, I get the two. But there ain't no two in there. Boudreau, I don't get. But also we Canucks. gotta mention Canucks. The Canucks. What the hell is that? What the Canukes. hell is Canucks? Yeah. Anyway, I, I felt Lord. like I needed to play that for you and the listener for a little bit of levity because we were just talking about local news. Seriously. And we're like, Bruce, Bruce, now, and now I have to think about how I say his name, Bruce Boudreau, because now I've been messed up by that segment. Bruce Seriously. And, and you know what? Maybe we're going a little harsh on this person. Maybe, you know, it's, it's a situation where we could ease up a little bit. We've been in situations before we've mispronounced names. I'm sure that has happened. But also we get told, you know, hey, do it right. So I'm sure they got to get up yeah. to that same standard too. And it's also just really painful on the ears to hear Canucks. Canucks, yeah. So look, look, I think we can, and I didn't want to get into it too much with Harmon about the treatment of Bruce Boudreau because I think we're kind of exhausted as hockey yeah. fans about that. Partic- look, Bruce was not treated well. I think it's been written to death. It's been said to death, all, all of that stuff. It's it's okay. We, we get it. Poorly handled. But I got to ask you. Yeah. Is is that the poorest handling of an NHL coach ever? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two other examples, and I need you okay. to to help me out. And you know, just we're gonna create like a ranking of of poor handling. So obviously, you got the way that Bruce Boudreaux was left dangling in the wind for at least six weeks, if not longer, by administration in Vancouver, and then finally, worst kept secret, he's out. We got to right. remember Gerard Gallant and the taxi. Right? Oh, where, the damn taxi. There's photos Gerard, of that. Gerard Gallant gets let go by the Florida Panthers in a game in Carolina. And they basically are like, hey, by the way, man, you're on your own and you got to take a cab. And, you know, so there's an argument to be made that that was very poorly handled, right? Uh, but now I'm going to tell you real quickly this is going to be kind of an abridged version. And this is yeah, what we sir. try and do on the Monday show try and teach young Julian about the way hockey used to be. So Yay. have you ever heard, this is a really funny, weird, quirky story. Have you ever heard of the story of how Roger Nielsen got fake fired by the Maple Leafs? Maybe a long time ago, but I don't remember. Okay. And and by the way, this is a good opportunity for us to kind of uh, plug once again. I, I think Jason Priestley was on, was he on the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show last week? He was on one of the shows last week promoting the Harold Ballard documentary that aired. It was when it was the Wednesday show. It was, it, yeah, it was the round table and Jason yeah. Priestley, uh, obviously, uh, 90210 fame, uh, spearheaded this documentary chronicling Harold Ballard's tumultuous time as owner of the Maple Leafs. I did not see it because it aired on Sunday night in, in Canada at the same time as the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. So we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about this, okay? But here's the story. We're okay? not going to talk about the fact that you have a San Francisco 49ers profile. You know what? Sorry. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, man. No, we're not. I have to have a – because it down goes brown. Okay. So in the uh, late 1970s, Roger Nielsen is the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they're a pretty good young upstart team. They got Daryl Sittler. They got Lanny McDonald. And in, 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 in one of the years, they actually beat the Islanders – who were one of the best teams mm-hmm. uh, in the league and, and knocked mm-hmm. them out of the playoffs on a Lanny McDonald goal. So, you know, Roger Nielsen is the coach of this upstart uh, team. 
And the next season, though, they're off to they're they're having a flat time, and they're they're not doing well. And Roger Nielsen essentially gets fired on TV. It's a and I think the name of the broad it's an old broadcaster. His name was Dick Beddoes. And Dick Beddoes was like the ringside reporter for this Leafs game on a midweek game. And after the game, the Leafs have lost. He sees Harold Ballard in the hallway of whatever. And I, I don't think it was Maple Leaf. It might have been Maple Leaf Gardens. I don't think it was Maple Leaf Gardens. Anyway, he uh, he says to him, hey, what's going on? He has, This is not on TV, but he has a conversation with Harold Ballard. And Ballard tells him, I'm firing Roger Nielsen. So... Beddoes comes back on and tells the audience, I can tell you Roger Nielsen has been let go uh, of his job in, in Toronto. Only one problem. They never tell Roger Nielsen. Oh so my now God. The, the team flies back to Toronto. If I'm and I, and I might get a couple of details wrong, but the, the core of this story will be accurate. They come back to Toronto. They have a Saturday night game on Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> and I believe that the at this point, though, Roger Nielsen hasn't been told he's fired. Two days later, he hasn't been told he's fired. And meanwhile, the Leafs have a practice that morning. The players run the practice, but Nielsen was at his office in Maple Leaf Gardens because Ballard didn't want to go to him face-to-face -face and say, you're fired. It was this whole big deal, and they didn't have a replacement for him. So now they're scrambling. They're like, what do we do? So Ballard comes up with the idea, listen, we're going to hang on to Roger Nielsen. He's going to stay our coach, but here's what I want Roger to do. It's hockey night in Canada. I want Harold Ballard to walk out onto the bench wearing a paper bag over his head so nobody knows who the coach is. And oh, when the TV cameras pan God. to him, the bag will be removed to reveal it's Roger Nielsen coaching the team. That, to me, is the worst handling. And Roger coached them, I believe, for the rest of that season and then was gone. I could be wrong. He but coached the he, rest of the year? I think so. I'll double check. But he came back. They fake fired him. And then they were like, Yo. hey, man, what if you wore a paper bag over your head and we like kind of played it up? I think that's even worse than what, did, what happened to Boudreaux. Believe it or not. I think that's worse than Boudreaux. I don't say this lightly at all, but Harold Ballard, I hope he freezes in hell. <laughs> yeah i don't say that lightly and i think there are a ton of people who listen to this podcast who um would agree with me and notice i said freeze and not burn freeze and then you could do what you want harold yeah. ballard is just a ugh. yeah ugh. not a good not a good dude uh shall we say I, i'm looking forward to watching that documentary but yeah the, the treatment of 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 bruce boudreaux is 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 really poor but in in hockey history we've seen this type of thing we've seen some some poor treatment like i said gerard gallant hey man get a taxi but roger nielsen what if you put a paper bag on your head is the all-time topper for me oh my god for me it's among the three that we're discussing so nielsen for sure undisputed number one i still have boudreaux above gerard gallant because i don't know i just think the way that Boudreaux was kind of spoken about. I mean, it's one. Thing, I mean, it's one thing for us as media members to speculate about his firing for weeks, but it got to a point where it was being discussed openly by Canucks management about Rick Tockett being his his replacement. And considering all the turmoil that has been going on at in lock in lockstep with uh, with their performance, like we all kind of thought Bruce Boudreaux would be gone, and then he wasn't. Like it just. Like we all kind of just kind of got to a point where we're just starting to feel bad 
for him. You know, like it wasn't really an easy situation for him to to deal with. And I'll, I'll give him this, though, as opposed to Gerard Gallant and, and probably Roger Nielsen. I'm, I'm not sure if that happened to him at the end of that year. But the fact that fans were able to come together and celebrate and, and, and you know, do the Bruce there it is chance for for Boudreaux, like that's a really nice moment. There are not many coaches who would get anything like that. And the fact that the Vancouver Canucks, even if there were a bunch of them who thought he was probably a bad coach and not and probably deserved to be fired, the fact that a whole faction of them came together to acknowledge him the way that they did, like that's that's a pretty I mean, it's a bit bittersweet, but pretty classy way to to exit by on the parts of Canucks fans. And good on Bruce for 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 you know just trying to be classy until the very end because a different type of person would have been petty as hell in their yeah. exit from the Canucks. Petty as hell. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, double check. Roger Nielsen, finished, he he coached that entire season with the Leafs. So he stayed to the end. Uh, they they got knocked out in the playoffs uh, by Montreal, but he, he stayed the whole year. So um, that's insane. Wild. Yeah, yeah. Wild. You got, you got me to go in a paper bag? What? And I have to coach the rest of the damn year because you can't get your ish together? What? Yeah. Nah, man. Yeah. Right. Harold Ballard, bad man. Just, just yeah. nah, nah. Like, like. Like, no, 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 yeah. evil no. man. And and I know no. there are so many other reasons why that dude is an evil man. And I don't feel bad calling him an evil man. He a evil. He was an evil dude. He, he did yeah. a whole bunch of players wrong, did them dirty, and then doing this crap? Nah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just tip, the tip of the iceberg with him uh, and his treatment of, of I changed of my mind. Like, you shouldn't freeze in hell. You should burn in hell. You should have been burning go. in hell. Just there we go. Boy, Fine. you just... Quick switch there uh, on the just change the thermostat. You're like my wife. You just fiddled with the thermostat. Um. Don't don't put me in this. Don't put me in this. That's you and your wife. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. So listen. Every week of the Monday show, uh, look, we're talking about uh, coaches. We do the Jack Adams of the Week award. Now, if we look back to last week, we see that the Avalanche, Jared Bednar, they went four and zero. Surprise, surprise, ho-hum, Jim Montgomery, 4-0 in Boston. Uh, but a little love, I think, maybe for Paul, the beleaguered Paul Maurice. The Panthers have a pulse, Julian. The 3-0-1, the Panthers have a pulse. Uh, they're kind of right back on the, the, the periphery of the playoff picture, thanks to a great week. They get seven of a possible eight points. But given everything that happened and the way that the week really shook down. Yeah. Is it is are we giving this award to Bruce Boudreau and under the guise of nobody did a better job coaching an NHL team than Bruce Boudreau did last week when he knew he was done and I know his team didn't uh, didn't win uh, you know the games and the, these two games of the weekend but uh, boy the way he he handled himself maybe he he gets our Jack Adams vote yeah I I, I think he's he should get it I, I think everyone else who was up for this award this week. I think would very much understand. If that being said, if Bruce Boudreaux was not considered, I would have actually given my vote to Jim Montgomery because of the fact that these wins now, I mean, maybe we're being a little bit ho-hum on it, but like I was just looking this up this morning. Like the Bruins are on pace to like bring break the single season record for wins in a season by an NHL team. Like that should not go unnoticed. But Bruce Boudreaux and how he handled everything, I think he's deserving of uh, the Jack Adams of the Week award. Like he give it to him. Give it to him. I'll tell you what, though. If I'm the okay, if you're the Bruins, would you want to set the NHL record for most wins in a season? Yes or no? And I, I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some strange context here. 
Okay. Okay. Yes. Now hear me out on this. Yes. So the two teams that share the NHL record for most wins in a regular season are the Detroit Red Wings of 1996 yes. and the Tampa Bay Lightning of 2019. 62 Ooh. wins, I believe. 2019 Lightning swept out in the first round. Yes. 1996 Red Wings, they lose in a memorable conference final to the Avalanche. They, they went deep, but they didn't get the job done. So you might be saying, okay, yeah, that's one thing. Now hear me out on this. Yes. Now go to every other sport in the big four. I'm going to walk you through this real quick. This is off the top of my head. NBA, yes. the Golden State Warriors have the record 73 wins. Guess what? LeBron did them in. They lose. They don't win. New England Patriots, right? Yes. Who could forget? 16-0. Nobody had yep. ever gone 16-0. Ran the table. Guess what? They didn't win the Super Bowl. Eli Manning. What a shame. Tyree. Major what a shame. League Baseball. The Seattle Mariners of, of 2001. 2001, 116 wins, if memory serves me, and they got taken down by a allegedly roided up Roger Clemens and the Yankees. Allegedly. Allegedly. And the Mariners, it took them like 21 more years for them to win yep. a playoff series okay. after that. So if you know all of this information that I've given you, would you still want to set your league single season, regular season mark for wins? Because I'm thinking, I don't want it. It's a kiss of death. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite because ah, I say I'm yes. I no. say yes because if my team gets the job done in the playoffs, we could be that team that breaks whatever curse is applied to that team. No, there is a curse. I, I know. Look, look. You, yes, yes, you listed off some facts. But if I'm on that team, I'm going in it to win. I don't want to like take games I, off and then get to a point where you're just like, well, I don't want this single season record. I don't want this president's trophy. I don't want this stench to follow me. So that way, when we get into like a, a first or a second round series against somebody, then we end up losing. That being said, you know what's funny? It's funny we discussed this today because I thought about it this morning. It would not surprise me if like the Eastern Conference final was like Boston, Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay won. It would not surprise me in the slightest if that is how this season ends up. Not to scare Bruins fans, but like I feel like we kind of just went through this whole year and, and we're all just kind of like, I mean, Tampa, like, all right, they're there. They're just they're just kind of there. Okay, what's really happening them up? Can I make my bold proclamation that if the Bruins win more than 60 games in the regular season, they're not going to the Stanley Cup final. If they win more than 60 games in a season, they're not going to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Oof. Book it, book Oof. it, and, I, right, and I don't sir. want. I'm not saying I'm not trying to uh, intentionally wish hard. I have no, uh, you know, skin in the game on the Bruins. Yeah, I, no I don't. Whether I just there's something I, I I remember. So I was on the radio in Ottawa when Tampa Bay. I had a daily talk show back in the day when Tampa was sick, and I was telling everyone, folks, I'm telling you, they're done. I don't know when they're done. They're done. They're not getting to the Cup final. Just pay attention to history. And everyone's like, oh, no, you just blah, blah, And they got swept. Now, I never predicted in my wildest dreams that we get swept. Never, ever. Man, but I just, swept. I'm telling you, there's something weird about these teams that set the record. Golden State, the Patriots, the Mariners, the Lightning. Don't do it, man. Don't join the club. Don't join the club. I mean... But what do you do? Like, do you, if you're a player, you see that's out there, like, you don't slow down. You, and, like, who's going to slow down you can the Boston do. Bruins? There's nothing you, so you good. can't. No, no, no. You can't. There's nothing you can do. I'm not telling you to lose games. I, I'm, I'm just saying some weird 
curse kicks in. I mean, yeah. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. If if that's what you got to do, if that's what has to happen, I mean, but I don't know. I'm still on that side that says, hey, you win all those games and you handle your business in the playoffs. And the Boston Bruins, with the players that they have and the urgency that's there, should have the wherewithal to handle their business. Let's revisit this in like three months when they get bounced in the third round by Tampa Bay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's wrap up our show. Hey, let's talk about the Western Conference for a second. Because, you know, when you look at the standings, and we're going to do a little multiple choice madness here. uh, This is really cool. I I don't think we've paid enough attention. Look, Boston is running away and hiding with that Atlantic division. No one's catching them. Uh, Yeah. The Western uh, division is going to be a lot of fun. Like I think Dallas and Winnipeg are basically neck and neck. The race I want to talk about here for a second, though, is the Pacific Division. Because as we record this on Monday afternoon, there are four teams separated by three points. That's Vegas at, at 60, Seattle 59, Los Angeles 58, Edmonton uh, 57. Uh, Calgary's in the mix too. They're at 53, so they're not out of the equation. And they do have games in hand on on a couple of these teams. So it's very conceivable that Calgary can push themselves right back into this and and get within striking distance in a week or two. Here's my question to to wrap up the pod and uh, to do a little multiple choice. Uh, Mm -hmm. You got to put your pick in right now. Who's winning the Pacific Division? Is it Vegas, Seattle, LA, Edmonton, or Calgary? Who's taking that division? I think Vegas is going to hold on and and win it. I just feel as if they've been the dominant team throughout the year, and I kind of expect them to kind of propel themselves to keep themselves going. But I also love Seattle's story, a a team that we kind of looked at weird last year for the way they they went about things. And, man, right now they're, they're a point behind Vegas, and they have a better points percentage than Vegas right now. Like this is a T they're seven, two and one in their last 10 games. Like yep. they have a better goal differential than the Vegas Golden Knights. Like it's, it's very, very interesting to see how this team that we all kind of thought was uh, built a bit weird, or at least not what we thought they would do considering what the Vegas Golden Knights did, but they've turned yep. themselves into a playoff team. And now you have to wonder if your management, like how are you going to go about the trade deadline and how are you going to go about your plan in order to become a sustainable contending team? Because, it seems like you're ahead of schedule, but I, I I still foresee some kind of drop off. But hey, maybe it never comes. It never happens. And if that happens, uh, I, and I, th- I think LA might drop off a bit too. I still see Vegas near the top of that division, but it's so so close with those teams in that Pacific division. Especially if you're looking, if you're putting Calgary in it, who's technically off a of points percentage out of the playoff spot, but they're tied with uh, Colorado for the wild card, and they're seven points out of Vegas. But like. I think we're in for a very big grind over the next like five weeks just with yeah. how that Pacific's going to go. But my vote goes to Vegas. You know what? Give me Seattle. And you kind of you kind of laid out uh, you know the I goal did. differential and, and all that stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, are they not the best road team in the NHL? Uh, if, if they're not, they're pretty darn su- close. That um, wouldn't surprise. I mean, they're, they're, they have a 16, 5, and 2 record on the road. And I think, think that's... About that. That's better than anybody I've seen. Oh, well, New Jersey is 18-2-2 two two on the road. So they're at okay. least the, so best, they're the best road team in the Western Conference. Yeah. And, you know, you lose five times in, in 23 games in regulation on the road uh, where you don't have the matchups and all that stuff. And, and you don't have – here's what I'm holding out – why I'm holding out on Seattle. 
I think they're going to address their goaltending at some point. I think they're going to get an upgrading goal, and then it's going to be like, wow, they're really going to take off. And I I don't know, uh, Julian. I want to see them do well. I I like this story. I think it's weird to say that I would have fatigue on Vegas uh, because they're they're still a relatively young franchise, but I feel like I've seen them so often, right? They're in the playoffs. They're... They're a de- I don't know they missed last year, but they've they've been a perennial contender every year since they've joined the league. I like Seattle. I, I like what 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 Dave Haxtell has built there. I like that they're doing it at even strength. They're not riding a hot power play and and crazy goaltending. They're just they're just playing really smart, effective, uh, fun hockey. And and you know what? Give me the Kraken. Give me Seattle to win that Ooh. division. What and a yeah. day for you, sir. You picked the Kraken to win the division. The Bruins are not making it to the Stanley Cup final. And yep. you told a wild Roger Nielsen story. You are well, on yes. fire, sir. There we go. Okay, well, it's a great way to end the show. I got to leave on a high. I don't have any more stories to tell. Uh, yeah. And we never talked about the Cowboys, so that was uh, that was the best part of the show. <laughs> uh, I thought today was going to be such a weird day with uh, between this show and the Chris Johnston show. Just dealing with a bunch of Cowboys tears, but uh, you both of you gentlemen held up very well. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know what? I I even I actually saw Pierre LeBrun in Ottawa this weekend. Oh, no uh, Pierre way. LeBrun, yes, was in Ottawa on the weekend, and uh, he was here for a hockey tournament. And uh, I, I very briefly crossed paths with him. It was great to see him. And uh, at the time, he was he was you know he was pretty uh, he was pretty optimistic about uh, the Cowboys' chances and. You know, obviously, then Sunday happened. So, um, you know, LeBron, Jeez. LeBron is probably though out of uh, CJ myself. I, I think he's the craziest fan. I think he went to Tampa to watch that playoff yeah, game. Yeah, he was in Tampa for the playoff game. Yeah, yeah, I believe he is definitely. I feel like I if, if they had gone to the Super Bowl, LeBron would have been there. LeBron would have found a way to convince the athletic to like let him like write about the Cowboys at the yeah. Super Bowl or something. How come we're not doing our pod off of like ra- we should pitch to do our pod off Radio Row? Yeah, know? like why can't we do it like at the Stanley Cup Final? Like why can't we do that? Like we should be able I to don't do think that. They have Radio Row at the Stanley Cup, do they? What the All Star? Why, why aren't we going to the All Star game? Yeah, I should be in Next Florida week. hanging out. That's right. You know? See what's Let's going on. Take the sucker on, but... on the road. Ser- Yo. I would do it. I I got the setup ready, man. Like I I got I got the mic at the ready. I'm getting myself an extra light, an extra camera. I got the setup. Let's do it. I'll go Let's out go. and do it. Let's do it. There we go. Set us up. Athletic uh athletic hockey show. Um set us up. Send us somewhere, anywhere. We're, you know we're gonna get some assignment where it's like, you know, Julian, you can go to Ottawa and do one show with Ian. You're like, ah. Oh. You'd have to do it for the Canadian Tire Center from yeah. the, from the exactly. from whatever room. You, you that and Ian can do that, one show from Canada. It's like ah, we have to do it damn. from the room that has that nasty little like splot on the carpet. Is that still there? You're, you're, you're going to need to be more specific. <laughs> which which room with the stain on the carpeting? Now we're ready for a new rink. We're ready for a new rink in Ottawa, and we're ready to uh, to, to pass the torch to the Tuesday show. Which, by the way, I got to promote this. We're talking about coaches. That, that was a big theme on the show. Barry Trotz going to join the Tuesday show. Uh, going to be with Jen Tilly and Custance. Barry Trotz on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. So look forward to uh, to hearing what, uh, what Barry Trotz has to say about all things coaching and the NHL. That's the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. That's it for the Monday, guys. Uh, so everybody, if you uh, hopefully enjoyed this episode, follow us on your uh, favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review there. 
We certainly appreciate that. You can also subscribe to us uh, and get a great deal with a one-year subscription to The Athletic. It is $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.